this morning we're going to be looking, um, continuing the, the, the series that we're doing as a, uh, being church, and we're going to be looking at the topic of, of prayer, <clears throat> which is good timing with the week of prayer that John mentioned. It's almost as if we planned it. And, and, and we can start with, with encouragement, really, that, that pre- we have experienced that prayer works and that a miracle's happened and our prayers have been heard and answered um, because the cafe are now doing Sunday dinners <laughs> after church. Thank you, Jesus. Such a good thing. Um, but we, we're going to look over the next few minutes at, at what it means to be a praying church. And, uh, and within that, we're going to reflect um, where that starts, at our own personal prayer life as well. It might be that you're here this morning and, and you could do with a bit of a kickstart or you could do with a bit of a breakthrough in your prayer life. Um, or it might be that you're here this morning and, and, and you're new to all of this. And you've got questions about prayer, like, so, you know, how does it work, and, and how do we do it? And, or, or even you might be asking, what really is prayer? Um, I don't know what you think about prayer. I think sometimes some people um, think of it a little bit like, you know, um, when you go to the seaside, and there's those, um, those grabber machines with the toys. Do you know the ones? And you've got all the toys at the bottom, the stuff you want, and then you press the buttons and, and hope that you can get that thing to kind of, you know, pick it up. Um, but what happens often is, is what we'll see on this little video. I want that Eric Cartman. I'm sure you are. <laughs> oh, you got it. I got, got it. Win. I got You're it. Gonna I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I don't know if you've ever had that sort of feeling. I got a text message from my sister a little while ago. Um, she said, the kids have just watched a YouTube masterclass on grabber machines. Um, they've won eight toys in one morning. Um, and I replied saying, that's awesome. And she said, no, that's not awesome. People have started to notice they have got a following. Um, but I think that is how sometimes we can see prayer. That if we could just line everything up and, and, and push the right buttons, if we can say the words that God wants to hear, then we can get the thing that we actually want. If I was to introduce this talk as how to get guaranteed prayer results and outcomes, I'm pretty sure you'd all have notepads out thinking, yes, this is the one I wanted to hear. But, but prayer is actually about more than simply asking for stuff. That's part of it, but prayer is a much broader conversation. It's the means through which we talk and have a relationship with God. Without prayer, we can't know God. And without prayer, we aren't a church. One of my heroes, um, a lady called Corrie Ten Boom, um, who lived this life of of daring sacrifice, hiding Jews um, from the Nazis during the Holocaust. Um, She she wrote some amazing books, and, and, and she once posed this question. Is prayer the steering wheel or the spare tire of your life? In other words, is it something that you only use in emergencies or or do you use it constantly throughout the journey? Is it the thing that you use to to navigate the twists and turns of the road? I think that's a great question to ask ourselves as individuals, but I think it's also a great question to ask of our church. And in my observation, I think Trent Vineyard is a praying church. Prayer to us is a lot more like a steering wheel than it is a spare tire. And if you're new here, you'll, you'll notice this soon enough. You know, every, pretty much every meeting we have, 
Every project we do, every endeavor is kind of covered and punctuated with prayer. We have specific prayer meetings and events like you know, men's and women's prayer meetings on Tuesday morning, seven o'clock. The cafe's open serving bacon butties straight afterwards, by the way. But those are just really the tip of the prayer iceberg. There were folks praying before this service. We'll, fi we'll finish afterwards with an opportunity to pray. Um, the staff, we, we pray um, at Monday morning meetings. There's prayer in small groups, in Vineyard Kids microgroups, in Trent Youth. Um, before the arches doors open, they pray. Um, the healing on the streets guys are out regularly um, on the streets praying for folks. Um, and there's stories all the time of, of, of all of us lot, all of you guys, praying for friends and strangers um, at work and out and about. Every team from the football team, TVFC, to the facilities team, we pray. And that's not to mention all the personal prayer that each of us does in our own ways through the weeks. So, you know, every situation, different situations, different ways of praying. Sometimes we're asking for God's help, um, provision, or healing, or for justice. Sometimes we're praying for ourselves, sometimes we're praying for others. Sometimes when we pray, we're just listening to try and hear his voice and ask for guidance. Sometimes when we pray, we're just telling him how great he is. Or sometimes we're saying sorry for the things that we've done wrong and asking for his help to do better. In all situations, there's an opportunity to pray. But it's not just about the volume um, and how often we're praying, it's also about the way that we pray. Um, when I first came here, I think it really challenged my, my notion of prayer. I've been taught prayer, prayer growing up in quite a traditional way. Um, I used to sit, uh, this was what I taught every day, I would do this, um, it goes, um, hands, to, hands together softly so, little eyes shut tight, Father, just before we go, hear our prayers tonight. Amen. Let's do that every day. It's sweet, isn't it? <laughs> but so, you know, you can imagine with that, it took me a while to embrace something here that was so different. And uh, I still remember watching prayer ministry here um, for the first time. Um, watching this guy stand there and another guy came along and they chatted briefly um, before he, he, he placed his hands on his shoulder and then, and then he just started praying out loud. And uh, it all seemed to me in some senses quite casual. Um, the guy had his op eyes open and, he, and he, there was no sort of flowery language, no rhyming. Um, but <clears throat> in another sense, it was quite casual, but then in the other sense, it, it, it seemed to be quite intense because he was talking as though he genuinely believed that Jesus was stood right there with them. And for those of us who've been around this place for any length of time, we can become really familiar with that kind of prayer. Sort of, it's kind of like sort of natural, but at the same time supernatural. But we can forget that that is not necessarily people's experience or their expectation of prayer. And recently I was in a small group meeting, just like the one I described, and at the end of the night we, we, we broke into, into threes and, and prayed together, and there was this chap who who's quite new to all of this. And he stopped us before we prayed. And he said, um, by the way, I've seen this done before, but like, I don't really know what's going on. Like, what are we doing here? How does this thing work? And I thought, oh yeah, I forgot. I, I remember that feeling. And so one of the things that I'd love to achieve this morning is for all of us to, to, to come away having either learnt 
or been reminded about why we pray the way we do at this church in the hope that we would go away better equipped to pray but also encouraged and inspired that every single person in this room, no matter where you're at in your journey with God, can pray and see the world changed and miracles happen. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? And I think the only thing that God would ask of us before we get stuck into all of this is that we, that we just check that our heart is in the right place. I really think that's the most important thing. And so I want to ask you a question. What is the posture of your heart right now? You know, when we talk about prayer, we often talk about physical posture, don't we? You know, how we stand and, and, and what we do with our hands and whether our eyes are open and all that stuff is, is, is really good stuff, but maybe we'll talk more about that on another day. But the Bible tells us, I think, that when it comes to prayer, physical posture doesn't matter nearly so much to God as the posture of our hearts. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by the others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus spoke to those same hypocrites and he said, you honor God with your lips, um, but your hearts are far from them. And he was quoting Isaiah to them. But here, Jesus continued, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, on this, I don't want to sort of like drag you down to my level. I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, but have you ever been in that situation where you're, you're praying with somebody who you consider to be a bit holy um, and, um, and you start to think to yourself, oh man, the prayer pressure is on here. This had better be good. And then before you know it, you hear yourself doing this sort of holy voice. And you're like, where did that holy voice come from? Obviously, you don't do that. I have, will confess, I've, I've I found myself doing that. Or have you ever been in a situation where, and again, I'm sure none of you do this, um, but, but where somebody's praying and you begin to wonder, is this actually for the benefit of God or is it for the benefit of the people around? You know, sort of like, Lord... We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, especially for Mrs. Jones. Must be hard for her after the scandal with her daughter. Um, help her to be less annoying as she goes through that. You know, that kind of prayer, I think the point that Jesus was making is that prayer is ultimately not for the benefit of the ears of those around us. It's for an audience of one, for God. And if our heart is turned anywhere but towards him, doesn't matter how flowery the language is, it's just not prayer. But on the flip side, the encouragement is that if our heart is turned towards him, then he doesn't care really about what words we use or, or, or the technique we pray, or whether we're an expert or not. Um, I heard about um, one of the ladies that did Alpha the last term. Her daughter was crying, um, and she had a, with a, bit, with a bad headache, and she'd never done anything like it before, but she just put her hands around her daughter's head and silently um, prayed, and the headache disappeared. That's how it works. So, you know, whether you are new to prayer or whether you're an experienced prayer warrior, I personally think the most important thing about prayer is, is the posture of your heart and whether it's turned towards God. And I've got three kind of posture checks um, that we're, that we're going to do today. So, first one is this. 
When you pray, are you standing in his presence? So just to sort of check, put your hands up. If, if you've ever been down the front to get prayed for, who's been up the front here to get prayed for at the end of a service at some point before? So lots of folks, lots of folks here today. If you haven't ever done that today, it could be your first time. There'll be an opportunity to do that in a bit. Um, but you might have wondered, why do we do it up the front here? And um, it's partly, you know, just for the sake of practicalities, there's more space, it's easier to get in and out. It's not like the carpet is like this special holy carpet down here. It's just, just practical. But I'd say there's also something um, in the physical act of, of, of stepping out and stepping down here that is our, our physical posture, kind of reflecting the posture of our heart and, and, and our desire to stand in the presence of God. Now, of course, you know, you can stand in the presence of God everywhere because God is everywhere. And, and, and even more than that, as followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us that, that we actually carry God's presence in us. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, but he or she who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And, and, and I think it's worth just taking a moment to reflect what an, what an incredible privilege that is, by the way. The, the fact that, that he is in the room right now and he's in the heart of every Jesus follower in this room. And it makes a big difference whether a person is in the room or not, when you're having a conversation with them, doesn't it? You know, for example, it's hard to gossip about somebody when they're in the room. It's kind of awkward, isn't it? Just can't do it. Or, or for example, in this conversation we're having, if my friend was to call me up now and I was to answer the phone and start talking as if you're not here, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? If I would be like, oh, hi, yeah, 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 doing a sermon, yeah. No, not going well, no. <laughs> But I don't think it's me, I think it's the crowd. <laughs> even John and Debbie look bored. Yeah. See, that would be awkward. And now, I, I, even if that was true, which it's not, of course, I wouldn't say that because you're in the room. I might say about the evening service people, but not you guys. <laughs> and I think the first thing that we need to remind ourselves when we come to pray is that He is in the room, we are in His presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. And it's so easy to forget what a privilege that is. In the Old Testament times, of course, well, maybe not, of course, you might not have heard this before, um, the people of Israel, they would have to go to the temple to get near to God's presence. And, and, and to do that was a really big deal for them. In, in one of the Psalms, Psalms 100, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise because they really saw how special it was to draw close to God. But now we don't need to go to a temple to experience God's presence. The barrier that separated God from humanity, um, from, from his people, the barrier between the, his people and his presence, a barrier of sin, has been destroyed by Jesus through his work on the cross. And, and, and it, that, it cost him everything to take that barrier down. Um, Ephesians 2, um, verse 13, puts it like this. But now, in Christ Jesus, you... Us, who, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And it continues a little bit later. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I think that's a reminder of the, the intimacy of experiencing God's presence in prayer. It is, is a gift, an incredibly costly, priceless, but amazing gift. 
You know, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes when it comes to prayer, I, I feel like, oh, I, I should pray. I should get around to praying, almost as if it's like a chore to do, a job on the to-do list. But, of course, it's, it's not a chore. It's not a favor that we do for God. Prayer is a, a supreme privilege. And I think one person who, who really got this was um, this French monk called Brother Lawrence that you might have heard of. And he wrote this back in the 17th century. He said, I regard myself as the most wretched of all men, stinking and covered with sores, and as one who's committed all sorts of crime against his king. Overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him, I ask his pardon, and I abandon myself entirely to him to do with as he will. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, lovingly embraces me. He makes me eat at his table. He serves me with his own hands. He gives me the keys of his treasures, and he treats me as his favorite. I think that, that man, Brother Lawrence, he really understood prayer. You know, um, most people, myself included, we have like particular times that we that we like to pray. For me, it's when I'm cycling on my bike. Um, and it's good to have those sort of specific allocated prayer times. They can be really helpful. But I think what Brother Lawrence understood is that praying in God's presence didn't need to be confined to those sort of like particular prayer times. Um, for him, prayer was this ongoing di dialogue that he'd have with God through the day. He'd talk with him about everything, all the little details. You know, like that, that steering wheel picture that we, that we talked about earlier. That's how it was for him. For him, the, the privilege of being in God's presence was reason enough to pray. And I think, personally, if he saw my prayer life, um, or maybe yours, I don't know, he'd ask me the question, you know, why would you want to go for whole chunks of the day without taking advantage of the comfort um, and the joy of being in God's presence? So, if you would identify yourself, perhaps, as a little bit of a spare tire prayer, then I think today could be a reminder that when we pray, you know, before we get our wish list out to God, it's worth taking a moment to remind ourselves of this privilege, how crazy it is that we are deemed worthy to be in his presence. And to reflect and, and first ask ourselves, what is the posture of my heart? Am I, am I, am I standing in his presence? That's the first posture check. The second one is to ask, when you pray, are you standing in his authority? So I asked who's been up the front to get prayed for. Who's been up the front at some point to pray for somebody? Just pop your hands up if you've ever done that. Great. Similarly, lots of folks. Um, we have this, this, this saying in the vineyard, um, everyone gets to play. And what we mean is that we want, we want as many people to be involved as possible. So that's why there's no sort of special prayer team when we do the prayer time at the front. Um, we just say, if you're part of a small group, um, then, then you can come and pray for someone. And, and, and the reason we say that is because that's the biggest group of people that we can describe um, that, that facilitates as many people getting involved as possible while still um, protecting the safety of this place up the front. So if, if you're in a small group and you didn't realize that, um, you are authorized to come up and do that. Um, you're authorized by the church and also, more importantly, by Jesus. Um, and when we do that, when we step out and step up here to pray for somebody, again, I think there's an element of our physical posture that's reflecting the fact that we are stepping into 
and standing in God's authority as we pray. And I think this, this sort of second element of, of posture, it really flows out of the first one because you see it in the Bible all the time, there's a connection between the presence of God and the power and authority of God. You see this throughout the Old Testament um, and you see it really clearly in the life of Jesus. So, you know, just some of the things that Jesus did. He spoke to a storm with authority and said, be still, and the waves stopped raging. He spoke to a withered hand, said, stretch out. He told a lame man, get up and walk. He told a leper, be clean. And note, by the way, here, these, these are the words that are in the Bible. Jesus' prayers tended to be quite succinct and not that flowery. Um, he spoke to a demon, and he said, be silent and get out of him. He even spoke to the dead. He told a, a young man, I tell you, arise. During Jesus' life, humanity encountered the presence of God. He came here and walked among us, and they saw the power and authority that came with that presence. Um, but what's interesting, and Debbie um, taught, taught, taught us about this um, the other week, is that Jesus then passed that authority onto his followers. Um, he released and authorized and sent them to go and pray for others and see miracles happen. And that's exactly what happened. Now, of course, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he wasn't present with them in quite the same way. Um, but God had a plan to bless all of his people, all of his followers, with his presence and authority through the, through the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so if you read on past the Gospels into the book of Acts, um, you read how the Holy Spirit um, came to the church on the day of Pentecost. Um, and shortly after that happened, there's this kind of, what I see as a bit of a breakthrough, president-setting moment um, that is really important, I think, for the church. What was happening um, in, in Acts? Peter and John, two of Jesus' followers, are walking through the city center and they get asked by this um, lame beggar for some money. And, you know, a few weeks before, when Jesus had been around, um, people were like this, were getting healed all the time. Um, but, but, but Jesus wasn't with them in quite the same way anymore. They had had this experience with the Holy Spirit, um, but the question was, had the Holy Spirit brought with himself that same power and authority for the people? And Peter being quite an assertive chap, he assumes the answer to that question is yes. So Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it says, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. For me, I think this is a really crucial moment in the history of the church because this is the point where we saw the Lord honor that promise to be with us and to give our prayers authority and value and power. It's exactly the same spirit of Jesus that healed that beggar that was at work just right down there the other day when Jen, in the video, when her leg got healed. Suze, who prayed for her, she doesn't have any power or authority over Jen's leg. Of course she doesn't, but what happened in that moment was that God's presence was there and his power and his authority came through Susie's words so that when she spoke, Jen's leg was healed. And the Bible tells us to expect this. We've been commissioned by Jesus 
to pray with authority over all things, to pray in his name with the expectation of stuff happening. Um, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, Jesus said, verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And this is the point where you might think, hold on, if that's the case, how come when I prayed for such and such, um, my prayer didn't seem to get answered? Because of course, we've all probably had this experience where we've prayed for something and it feels like that prayer has not been answered. I'm guessing everybody's had that experience. Why does that happen then if we have such power and authority? Well, um, it could be for a whole bunch of reasons. It might be because the thing that you're praying for is not actually what God wants. So for example, you can pray in Jesus' name um, that your boss would get struck by lightning, but God's probably not gonna answer that prayer. It might be, though, that the timing isn't right. You know, the thing that you're asking for is good, but God feels it's best for it to happen at a different point in time. But sometimes, when we pray for things, we think, surely this must coincide with God's will, what he wants, and yet the opposite seems to happen. You know, innocent people suffer. Tragedy happens. Why is it that, a, you know, a leg can seem to grow an inch seemingly quite easily, yet faith-filled people die tragically, leaving young families behind. Why does that happen? Was it because we didn't, you know, say the right words? Was it because we didn't have enough faith? Was it because, you know, we, we got the technique wrong or because there's some sin that somebody's done in the, in the equation somewhere that's discounted that request? And the truth is, I think there isn't a simple or a straightforward answer as to why prayers sometimes don't feel like they're answered because every situation is unique. It can be really hard to be honest with ourselves and with God about those kind of situations and questions. They can be the hardest twists and turns in the road of the journey. But if prayer is our steering wheel, the way we navigate the road, we can actually turn those questions into prayers as well. We can turn over our doubts in our hearts and offer them up along with our best prayers of faith. And one perspective that I've found really helpful in all this is something that I've heard John and others say before. Um, one of the pictures that the Bible uses to describe the story of time um, is, is, is like a, is a war. There's this spiritual war going on between a good and loving and perfect God and the devil. And um, like, like many wars, if you think about um, World War II, for example, in wars, there's often a point where, where victory is decided, um, but there are battles fought after that before the war is finally over. So, you know, D-Day in World War II, 6th of June, 1944, um, the troops landed in Normandy, and the war was effectively done and sealed, but there was a year of battles beyond that before the Axis powers surrendered. And in a sense, we live, um, the Bible tells us, in a similar kind of interim period. The Bible tells us that the war between good and evil has been decided. D Jesus has won the crucial victory through his work on the cross. But the final defeat of the enemy, 
The final defeat over death and sin and darkness has yet to come. And until Jesus comes again to fully restore his kingdom, we live in this present age where there are battles still to be fought, battles in which the forces of darkness will sometimes inflict casualties, but battles in which our prayers and the weight and the authority they carry very much matter. I don't know um, if any of you are into sort of like your prayer devotional books. Uh, I've been looking at this book by Simon Gilbo. It's like a prayer devotional book. He came here to talk um, a little while ago. Um, and um, Simon is a radical follower of Jesus who's, um, for years, he's risked his sort of personal safety doing mission work in Burundi. And um, each day there's a little sort of thought and a prayer in there. And a few days ago, he asked this question, which I think is a great question to ask ourselves and Trent Vineyard. He says, do you see prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie or a domestic intercom? And he writes, and uh, he, you'll notice he has a slightly direct style. He says, we need to wake up to the fact that our prayers have power. They can have eternal consequences. Each of us has a key role to play in God's army, and it's prayer that underpins everything. If we don't grasp that, our prayers will be sluggish, apathetic, or just won't happen. So next time you pray, and by the way, it doesn't matter you know, where you're at in your journey with God in this, how long you've been following Jesus, take a moment to examine your heart and ask yourself, am I standing in his authority? I've got one more posture check before um, we spend some time praying, and it's this. Are we standing in his presence? Are we standing in his authority? And are we standing together? So once again, I'm just gonna ask you a question. Who here can, can testify to a situation in your life once where you felt really burdened by something um, until um, you had somebody pray with you and you came away from that prayer feeling lighter and unburdened. Has anybody ever had that experience? So loads of people in the room. Once again, this is probably something that many of us really know, um, but the Bible emphasizes this, that there's something profound about brothers and sisters coming together in prayer. Um, in Matthew 18, we read a couple of verses before this, but it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I think I've probably mentioned it before on this stage, but for, for about 10 years or so now, um, I've been meeting regularly with a couple of mates who are part of this church, and, and we, we pray together. We share the stuff that's on our heart, and we talk. Sometimes we do it more frequently than others, but over the years, we have seen some incredible answers to prayers, and our lives have been transformed by doing it. And by the way, if, 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 if you don't do that, if you don't have people like that in your life, I would say, Find some and do it, it's awesome. And also, take advantage of the opportunity to pray with others as often as you can. Do it up here on a Sunday, do it in small groups. Pray together as a family, because I personally believe that that verse that I just read in Matthew is kind of hinting, I think, that there's, there's a power in praying together with others that can, that can unlock things that prayer as an individual, can't sometimes. Um, and I certainly feel like that is my experience in my life. So just a little example, a few months ago, I was preparing a talk um, for here, for, for Invitation Sunday. 
And for some reason, I was just so anxious about it. I mean, obviously, you always get a bit stressed about doing this sort of thing, but this was unlike it. It was incredible, and I just felt so heavy, so burdened. And so I, um, I sent a text out to a couple of ladies who are part of this church who, to be honest, I don't really know them that well, but I know of them. I know that they're sort of like hardcore prayer people. You know, some people get a reputation for that. So I sent them a text saying, look, would you just pray? And I got the text back saying, praying for you. And I just can't explain how that lifted my soul in that moment. It was, physic- it was a physical thing. It was unbelievable. I just felt totally unburdened by it. And I want to ask you, is there a burden that you're carrying right now that you don't need to? Because if you need to unload something in that way, you're surrounded by people here who want to stand together, who want to stand with you in prayer and participate in your unburdening. We want to be a a church that stands with our, our hearts as one in prayer. And not just to pray for the concerns of our own life, but to pray for the concerns of others. To pray for the concerns of this church, for John and Debbie and Tom and Helen who lead us, for for, for the concerns of our city and our nation. We want to pray for the billions of people on this planet who don't know Jesus and are currently facing eternity without him. We want to pray for the billions of people on this planet who are living in, in poverty and persecution right now. And as John mentioned, um, we're, just, we're just coming into a, a time in, in the coming week um, where we've got an opportunity to participate wholeheartedly um, in this week of prayer. Um, it's, it's, it's great to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves in this, I think. So the Archbishop of Canterbury, he's called for this wave of prayer. And, um, and as John mentioned, there's going to be loads of different things to get involved in during that week. Um, there'll be lots of resources um, and devotional content that we'll be putting out on social media and on the website. Um, and I would say, if, 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 you, if your prayer life needs a bit of a kickstart um, or a breakthrough at the moment, this is a great chance to get it going. Um, and just to sort of whet your appetite, um, we're just going to show a little bit of a video that, that they've produced about it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's impossible to overstate, to exaggerate the life-transforming power of the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that's reassuring enough to be on the lips of the dying, and yet dangerous enough to be banned in cinemas. It's famous enough to be spoken each day by billions in thousands of languages, and yet it's intimate enough to draw us ever closer into friendship with Jesus Christ. It's simple enough to be memorized by small children, and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. When we pray this prayer, committed to Jesus Christ, there is no exaggerating, there's no imagining the new ways in which God can use us to his glory. That's great. And uh, you, you can watch the rest of that video, by the way. It's a few more minutes long on, on a website, a great website, actually, with lots of prayer resources called Thy Kingdom Come. Uh, recommend you check that out. It's great. So for us, though, for today, though, uh, wrapping up now, um, 
the question really to ask of ourselves, I think, is, is, is where is your heart right now in this moment? For me, as I've been writing this, I think it's given me an opportunity to reflect on the posture of my own heart. And it's been a really good thing for me to do. I, I think I've been reminded of these things myself, that prayer is not, you know, some grabber machine, just, it's just about getting the stuff I want. It's not a spare tire. And it's far more powerful than a domestic intercom. And I've found that as I've turned my heart to God afresh, I've been reminded recently what a, what, what a privilege and what a gift prayer is. And I believe that if we are to be, uh, continue to be a praying church, we must continually start steer our hearts towards God in prayer. Because it's as we do that, I believe that we see that, that prayer is the privilege of, of standing in his presence. It's the power of standing in his authority. And it's also the beauty of standing together.